Morning Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I am James Mbate in Washington. Today is Monday, February 20th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Nigeria candidates enter final days of February 25 elections campaign. It appears that the focus of a majority of these candidates are in the northern regions. As the saying goes in Nigeria, if you are able to win the populous Kano state and the populous Lagos state, then you stand a chance of becoming the next president. We'll also talk with the spokesperson of the ruling APC campaign council. Some South Sudan lawmakers and officials urge leaders to speed up election planning. Burundi human rights defenders demand unconditional release of their five detained colleagues. Climate change talks dominate at the African Union summit. Disaster response financing, contingency planning, solidarity funding, whatever works for the country so that when the government is actually called to respond, they have the means required so they can save life and livelihood. And the United Nations seeks $605 million to aid DRC refugees in neighboring countries. Those stories, plus our Black History Month facts of the day and Samsung O'Malley sports, are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Candidates in Nigeria's February 25 parliamentary and presidential elections have been crisscrossing the country in the final days before Saturday's vote. Viewers Peter Clotty has just arrived in the country to cover the elections and has been speaking to voters about their expectations for the vote and also where some of the candidates have been focusing their campaigns on the final days. The people that I spoke with, some of them expressed interest about what they want to see. Some of them also express concern about the current currency crunch uh, because Nigeria changed its uh, old notes to new currency notes. Um, there's a shortage in the system. Uh, there was fuel shortage, but that appears to have eased somewhat. Some are also saying that security concerns are still there. They expect some of these presidential candidates, 18 of them, to address them. People say the situation is tensed because of the much-anticipated elections coming up. But let's see how things go from here, James. So the candidates are in their final campaign stage now. What are they saying on the campaign trail? Well, pretty much it's the rounding up of all their campaign activities, conversing for votes, a lot of them have been crisscrossing the country, but it appears that the focus of a majority of these candidates are in the northern regions, Kaduna, Kano, and as the saying goes in Nigeria, the rule of thumb is if you are able to win the populous Kano state and the populous Lagos state and be competitive in you know a lot of these 36 states, then you stand a chance of becoming the next president. How are the candidates approaching this currency problem that you just mentioned? Are they touching it at all? Well, a lot of them have uh, expressed concern that although the policy is good and that although the aim is to have a cashless system because uh, hitherto it was cash-dominated economy, uh, they said the timing was wrong, especially during this election time. And some Proponents are saying that this currency shortage is a blessing because it will prevent people from buying votes from people. And when you don't buy votes from people, then you have to stand on your record. You have to be able to convince the people to come out to vote for you. You have to win the hearts and minds of people. Peter, thank you so much again. We look forward to speaking with you again another day. 
Thank you, James. Thank you. That was VO's Peter Clotty speaking with us from the Nigerian capital, Abuja. Campaigning for Nigeria's February 25 presidential election has entered its final week. The candidate of the ruling All-Progressive Congress Party, APC, Bola Tinubu, will hold his final campaign rally tomorrow, Tuesday, in his home state of Lagos. The election is taking place amid the government's currency swap deal that has caused cash shortages and protests throughout the country. Bayo Onanuga is spokesperson for the APC Presidential Campaign Council. He tells me that Tinubu's final campaign message is a promise to Nigerians to revitalize the national economy as he did when he was governor of Lagos State. We're offering our people, yes, President Buhari has done well. There are a lot of challenges that have uh, emerged in the course of his administration. And we are putting ourselves forward to deal with those challenges, to make the country much better, to bring prosperity to our people. You see, what is good for us is that our candidate as the governor of Lagos, and even our running mate, the running mate of our candidate, former governor, Kashim Shetima, as governor of the new state, both of them, they have very telling records as performers, as governors of the, of the two states, Borno and Lagos. So, as we are wanting to cut our votes on Saturday, our message in Nigeria is that our candidate has done this thing before, and we will do it on a larger scale if he's elected to govern our country. So, that's our message. I want to ask you, what does Mr. Tinibu, what does you make, or what does your campaign make of the whole Naira crisis now? Does that distract you from your campaign? Mr. Tinubu has been the most vocal for the candidates about the Naira swap policy of government. He's not against the policy. He's been the loudest voice about the effects of the swap policy on the ordinary people of Nigeria. People want their money back. said, before the currency swap policy began, Nigeria had 3.3 trillion Naira issued. Out of the 3.3 trillion, only 500 billion was in the, in the banking system, which means about 2.8 trillion was outside of the banking sector. And now people brought in their money, they deposited their money, they wanted the new notes. They couldn't could get the new notes anymore. And that's why you see all the protests, riots, including attacks on banks in some parts of the country. To me, and uh, to our candidates, a good intention policy has been badly managed. And our candidate, as a member of the ruling class, of the ruling party, and he, he was man enough to say there are problems. And he asked, has been urging the president and the CDM governor to fix all these problems. It's never, never against this policy. What is against is that this policy has caused a lot of harm. It has done a lot of damage to Nigeria's economy. As we are talking now today, many of our people, especially those who, who deal with cash, everybody's crying today. Everybody's crying. And the uh, government needs to do something to check whether this policy should really be where it is. As I said, as of today, the policy has caused a lot of damage to the Nigerian economy. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure always to speak with you and good luck on the campaign trail. Thank you, Mr. Boki. Bayo Onanunga is the spokesperson for the Presidential Campaign Council of Nigeria's ruling All-Progressive Congress Party, the APC. You are speaking with me from Nigeria's capital, Abuja. Some South Sudan lawmakers and officials are calling on leaders to speed up preparations for holding elections next year. 
The head of the National Elections Commission says the government has yet to put in place the legal framework for conducting elections. Wake Simon Wudu has more for VOA from Juba. Several party officials say despite little activity by the country's leaders, they are preparing for elections at the end of the transitional period as required by the revitalized peace agreement. Some officials say they are registering party members, mobilizing new members and establishing offices in states. Atem Kual, Secretary for Political Affairs of the SPLM, says his party has mobilized the members at the grassroots level. We have gone down to the Boomers and Payams, organizing the members from Boomer to Payam, from Payam to counties, then to the state. Then we, we are now preparing to conduct a national Kual says the party will conduct a national convention this year to finalize internal arrangements before the elections. Wilson Lodiong, vice president of the African National Congress, says his party is as well into preparations for next year's elections. We are mobilizing our members and opening offices in the state and establishing our state offices and making recruitment for any infidelity that in case there's, there's election, then we go for election. Lodiong says insecurity hinders efforts to mobilize and establish offices in some locations. He says the mistrust that still exists between some of the parties should be addressed to create a conducive environment for holding elections. After now, the army are fragmented, and we don't know which, which one is which. So this is our fear, that should election happen within this time frame and the army are not unified, then the results of the election will be one-sided. Abedenigo Akok Kachual, chairperson of the South Sudan National Elections Commission, says lack of legal framework has slowed his agency's work. This uh, transitional period will end by uh, 22nd of this month. And then we will be going on with the other two years remaining. I would really recommend them to say the election act should be passed very quickly. Then the formation of the election commission should be done. And from there, the commission will begin preparing the elections. In August last year, President Salva Kiir administration announced the extension of the transitional government's time in office for another two years. ACOC is urging political parties to present a program for conducting elections now scheduled to take place in December 2024. ACOC and John Agani, spokesperson for the National Legislative Assembly, told the VOA on Thursday the elections bill has yet to reach Parliament for ratification. Without parliamentary approval, elections cannot proceed. For VOA News, Amwaki Simon Wudu in Juba. You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James Butter in Washington. Today is Monday, February 20, and still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley's Post, and our Black History Month Facts of the Day. Climate change and its impact on the African continent was a recurring theme at the 36th Annual Summit of the African Union, which ended on Sunday. The meeting was held at its headquarters in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, with heads of state asking for better financing for the continent. Maya Msika reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Climate change, food security, and better financing options for the continent have been recurring themes at the two-day summit. 
U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres spoke about the need for debt relief in African and developing nations, while new chairperson for the AU, Comoros President Azali Asumani, made similar remarks, asking for debt cancellation for the continent. Ibrahima Sheikh Diong is the United Nations Assistant Secretary General and Director General of the African Risk Capacity Group. He says the demand for responses to climate change by heads of state across Africa indicates political commitment. The African Risk Capacity Group, ARC, works on profiling the risk and exposure to the problem and supporting a timely response. Diong spoke more on the aim of the specialized agency. And last but not least, how do we actually provide innovative financing mechanism, disaster response financing, contingency planning, solidarity funding, whatever works for the country, so that when the government is actually called to respond, they have the means required so they can save life and livelihood. The 35-member state ARC, established 10 years ago, is planning on getting more countries on board, with a key part of its work being convincing member states through broadening its scope. Disaster does not mean the same to any of our member states, meaning the AU member states. So we started with drought. We launched Tropical Cyclone two years ago. We're about to launch flood. So we hope by diversifying this product offering, we're going to be more and more relevant to all of our member states. The theme of this year's AU Assembly is Year of AFCFDA acceleration of the African continental free trade area implementation. The summit was opened on Saturday by outgoing Senegalese chairperson Macky Sall, with opening remarks made by Ethiopian Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, as well as Palestinian Prime Minister Shtaye, who spoke about the support of the AU to his people. Sunday marked the final day of the summit with a final press conference announcing the outcomes of the meeting scheduled to take place as a concluding event. They included reaffirming the AU's zero tolerance for unconstitutional change of government and better representation of Africa in global institutions. The launch and implementation of the African Continental Free Trade Agreement will also be supplemented by focusing on maritime security and for the first time in the history of the African Union, holding joint naval exercises. I'm Maya Misakir for VOA News, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. The United Nations Refugee Agency and 69 aid organizations are appealing for 605 million U.S. dollars this year to aid more than a million refugees from the Democratic Republic of Congo and for seven neighboring countries hosting them. Lisa Schlein reports for VOA from Geneva. More than 130 armed groups are operating and creating havoc in Eastern Democratic Republic of the Congo. They've attacked, terrorized, and ravaged villages in North and South Kivu and in Ituri provinces. They have killed and maimed scores of people and uprooted whole communities who abandoned their homes in fear for their lives. The UN Refugee Agency calls this one of Africa's most complex and long-standing humanitarian crises. As security worsens in the DRC, it says many more refugees will flee across borders into neighboring countries. This, says UNHCR spokeswoman Olga Serrado, will add to the burden on impoverished host communities and their ability to care for the needs of both their people and their refugee populations. Settlements and camps have reached or exceeded capacity in many, in many refugee host countries and available basic services such as healthcare, water and sanitation uh, either stretch or to their limits or too costly. And food insecurity is also a growing uh, concern. 
concern. Uganda is the largest host country of refugees from the DRC on the African continent. It remains a magnet for new arrivals. The UNHCR reports attacks by armed groups in eastern DRC last year spurred some 98,000 refugees to flee to Uganda, which now hosts nearly half a million Congolese. Other countries of asylum include Burundi, Tanzania, Rwanda, Zambia, the Republic of Congo and Angola. Serrato says their resources are stretched thin and international support is needed to provide growing refugee populations with protection, shelter, food, health care, education and other basic services. And we know that the combination of insecurity, uh, violence, uh, human rights violations and a fragile socioeconomic and political context, uh, we expect that these drivers will continue to cause uh, flows of refugees into neighboring countries in 2023. More than 5.8 million people are displaced inside the DRC, making it the largest population of internally displaced people on the African continent. The UNHCR says most of the displaced are discouraged from returning to their homes and former livelihoods because of continued insecurity. It adds the country's displacement crisis continues to grow because of recurring attacks by armed groups, intercommunal violence, and serious human rights violations. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. The Burundian Coalition of Human Rights Defenders is calling for the unconditional release of five human rights defenders. The five were arrested February 14 at the airport in Bujumbura by the National Intelligence Service. They were interrogated without their lawyers and charged with undermining the proper functioning of public financing, rebellion, and state security. Marie-Louise Barikeko is the chair of the group Women and Girls for Peace and Security in Burundi. She tells me the government should stop harassing human rights defenders because defending human rights is not a crime. They have taken them from uh, national intelligence and they took them to prison. Still, they don't have the right to have a lawyer. I saw your press release and you are calling for their unconditional release. But the government is accusing them of uh, undermining national security. This is something that they are using now to accuse every person they arrest without having anything specific or concrete to accuse him about. This is the same thing they did exactly with the, with one woman journalist they have uh, arrested recently, not very recently because it is more than uh, two months or three months now that she's in prison. Her name is Florian. She has also been accused of uh, threatening national security. So this is a language they have chosen now to use whenever they don't have anything specific to accuse people about. You are also demanding a fair trial. What is the possibility of a fair trial for them? The problem we have is that uh, in Burundi, justice is not independent. So having a fair trial when justice is not independent, but still we have to, uh, to, we have to ask it because Burundi has law. If they could follow the law, it would just be the best thing to do. But they are not doing it. Now, uh, fair trial, this is the, the thing we have to ask for because we are human rights defenders and we are defending their human rights and we have to request to ask for a fair trial. It is possible, but in the context of Burundi, it is also not obvious. I thought that the new government had put in place some freedom for organizations like your organization 
and maybe political freedom. It seems to me that this is a different situation. The issue is there is speeches and practice. And today what we are seeing in many situations is that, yes, indeed, the new leaders have uh, an attractive speech. They want to say that everything is going well, that the law is respected, that uh, freedom is a uh, right. But when you look at the realities, what is happening on the ground, you can realize that there is a bridge between the speech and the action. And that is the challenge Burundi is going through in many, many uh, situations, including justice, including human rights, including corruption, including many things. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much. Marie-Louise Barikeko is the chair of the Women and Girls for Peace and Security in Burundi. She was speaking with us from Kigali, Rwanda. It is time now for Daybreak Africa Sports. And here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, Samson. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports in Egypt, where the CAF Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations got underway on Sunday. The young Oz members of Mozambique held host Egypt to a goalless stalemate in the opening match, while the young Taranga Lions of Senegal edged Nigeria 1-0 to occupy top sport in Group A. Monday's matches will see Uganda squaring up against the Central African Republic, while South Sudan will play Congo. In women's football, Super Falcons of Nigeria were handed their second defeat at the Revelation Cup Four Nation Invitational Tournament in Mexico on Saturday by Colombia. The former African champions were beaten 1-0 in Leon. This defeat made it seven straight losses to the Nigerian senior women national team. The one-week Invitational Tournament, which started on Wednesday, serves as a part of the Super Falcons preparations for the 2023 Women's World Cup campaign in July. Super Falcons head coach Randy Wardrum said he was disappointed with his attackers. And I thought we were better today uh, than we were against Mexico in the first game. I thought the team was a little bit more settled. I was a little bit um, disappointed in our final third in the attack. I thought we were very uh, playing very much around the perimeter and we weren't connecting and I thought we could have created a lot more problems if we would have gotten more service in from those areas in the box because we're so good in the air. Uh, But there's still much work to be done. Nigeria's last game of the Invitational Tournament is against Costa Rica on Wednesday. Staying with football news, the newly appointed chairperson of the South African Football Association National Referees Committee, Victor Gomez, is set to bring innovation and consolidate on international standards, regarded as the beacon of refereeing on the African continent after his exploits in the World Cup in Qatar, Gomez announced his retirement from refereeing to the shock of many. One key area Gomez is hoping he can add value to the National Referees Committee of South Africa is in the training an introduction of the VAR. So just to give some, some, some meat to the VAR question, there are timelines, referees need to be trained, there need to be hours and stuff, so I'm very glad that the CEO did not to commit to a timeline. We will then discuss those timelines and then we can come back to that. 
In athletics, Jacob Kiblimo of Uganda beat the 5,000 meters and 10,000 meters world record holder Joshua Chipchagei to win the World Cross Country title on Saturday at the World Cross Country Championships in Bathurst, Australia. Uganda's Kiplimo clocked 29 minutes 17 seconds around the 10-kilometer long course at Mount Panorama in Bathurst, northwest of Sydney, better known as one of the world's most challenging motor racing courses. He crossed nine seconds clear of Ethiopia's Behu Arigwai with fellow Ugandan Chiptegi taking bronze. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And here now are some African-American and African history facts for today, February 20th. On this day, in 1927, Sidney Portier was born in Miami, Florida. He became the first African-American to win an Academy Award for his role in the movie Lilies of the Field. Portier was also the first black to play a leading role in an American movie without reference to his race. Also today, in 1895, Frederick Douglass, African-American spokesman and abolitionist, died in Anacostia Heights, District of Columbia, which is today Washington, D.C. He was 78 years old. Douglas was born a slave in the state of Maryland on February 14, 1817. And that's it for this Monday, February 20th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I am James Barton, Washington, wishing that you will have a great week. <laughs>